Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Did you know grizzly bears used to live in the Bay Area? Can you imagine a grizzly wandering down Market Street or hanging out at Brooklyn Basin in Oakland? Nah, our landscapes are dense and urban now. Our access to nature is more controlled. We hike in the hills or we go to defined city parks. One of San Francisco's newest parks, built above the Presidio Parkway right near the Golden Gate Bridge, is trying to remind city residents about our area's rich natural history. At the opening celebration for Tunnel Tops Park, kids walked on or around big, colorful decals of animals that once roamed these lands in large numbers, placed on the ground. They're the work of Faviana Rodriguez, the Oakland artist took to a stage to tell visitors about her project. My art installation is about honoring all of the creatures and animals that once roamed these lands before colonization. The grizzly bear, the elk, the mountain lion. Rodriguez says she chose animals that the land's earliest people had strong connections to. She consulted Ramaytush Ohlone elders and honors their legacy with a mural at the park entrance. It says, Welcome to the homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, Yalamu. Yalamu is what this area was called before colonization, Rodriguez says, and she wants her art to help people imagine that past. And I invite you to think about how these colors make you feel, the colors on the floor, on the art that I created. And that brings us to our question today, which comes from Isabel Guajardo. She's curious about exactly which animals did live here and what happened to them. Today on the show, we're going back to an ecological past that was far more vibrant and diverse. And we'll find out what happened to it. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and you're listening to Pay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. 
They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Today's show is all about the animals that flourished in the Bay Area before Europeans arrived. Reporter Amy Mayer takes it from here. When I started looking into what animals would have been here before the Spanish mission system, I reached out to local native leaders, scientists, writers, and one after another, people told me, Laura Cunningham knows. If you had just been transported back in time, say 300 years ago, you would have just been in this like vast, um, abundant herds and flocks and um, the fisheries just would have been astounding. Laura is a naturalist, a painter, and the author of A State of Change, Forgotten Landscapes of California. She says even though we still have flocks of ducks and geese, herds of deer, salmon and other fish, their numbers are nothing like they were. And then there were these other animals, condors, eagles. Herds of pronghorn antelope, tule elk around the Bay Area, um, and then grizzlies. You know, we're just not used to seeing such large predators, but there were very large um, grizzlies and they were abundant. Wolf packs, there were apparently even jaguars inhabiting the coastal live oak woodlands as far north as San Francisco. Jaguars? But just imagine, these big animals need a lot of room to hunt, graze, and raise their young. Before European colonization, Laura found, they had that. She dug through all kinds of records to create images of what this area might have looked like. I tried to gather as much scientific and cultural information as possible. She consulted Ohlone and other Native elders and spent summers as a naturalist. And then, very importantly, going out into the field to these, these areas and looking for clues of the past, like, you know, a remnant Native plant community that's next to or in an urban environment that still has native plants, Um, a creek that might have been covered up, but sometimes it's revealed and you can see, oh, wow, there used to be like salmon runs here. Through all her research, she discovered how much people have irrevocably changed the landscape of the Bay Area over time. And that meant all kinds of animals had to find new places to live. To understand how we got from a lush landscape with lots of big animals to where we are today has a lot to do with how the land was cared for. I headed north to Sonoma County to get some details. It's windy here up on a ridgeline in Tole Lake Regional Park. I'm here with Peter Nelson, a professor of environmental science and ethnic studies at UC Berkeley. Well, I picked this spot because a lot of my research has been out here. Um, I'm an archaeologist and anthropologist, and I study the environment in the past as well as indigenous stewardship practices. We're just eight miles from Petaluma, looking out at rolling grasslands. They're home to cattle, horses, and vineyards today. Peter chose to study this area in part because his Coast Miwok family lived here for generations. He says thriving villages of different tribes once dotted these hills. They created paths down to the bay. The people lived in ways that still left room for wildlife. This was a really um, abundant area for all life, human and non-human. 
The prescribed burns done by indigenous folks to manage the land actually helped animals thrive. That's because burning keeps bigger plants like trees and shrubs from overtaking the grasses and flowers. That preserves habitat and food sources for rodents and rabbits, birds and insects, and even bigger animals like elk. Peter says researchers recently showed the importance of traditional ecological practices for animals. They were talking about the benefits of cultural burning to the habitat for these tule elk being much more beneficial and, and tule elk, you know, really thriving in that kind of environment. Burns also kill pests that can damage oak trees. At the time these prescribed burns were common, back when indigenous groups were the primary residents of California, the population was about 40,000 people. It's a mere fraction of the number of European settlers who would soon arrive. The Catholic missionary Father Jose Altamira arrived in 1823 and established the Solano Mission. He kept a journal as he explored the areas we know as Napa and Sonoma. We saw on the plain and hills large groves of oak trees and went over large spots of land proper for the cultivation of the vine. We then climbed the slope of a mountain, which, with its adjoining hills, could furnish good stone. He saw herds of deer and elk on the hills, and bears, so many bears, the ones remembered now as California grizzlies, which gave the state its mascot. But people like Altamira would eventually lead to the bear's demise. He disdained the big brown creatures. This afternoon, the men of our company put to death many bears, animals offensive to humanity. Peter Nelson has read Altamira's journal, which has multiple entries about the bears his group killed. Peter says the hunting wasn't for food or even for fur. It was just the missionaries' attitude. They're, you know, these abominable creatures and they need to be rid from God's earth, basically. You know, so you see that sort of narrative of Europeans imposing their views and values on the landscape um, in these ways that really aren't congruent with uh, the way the ecology and the natural environment, as well as how Native people stewarded this area. An estimated 10,000 California grizzly bears lived freely in the state until the missionaries arrived. Today, there are none. Grizzly bears aren't the only species that were casualties of newcomers' different values. Sea otters and fur seals were under siege for their warm and valuable pelts. You have the hunting of sea mammals. You have the hunting of land mammals like the beaver. The beaver population was so devastated, early 20th century naturalists assumed they'd never lived in the Bay Area. But a recent review of scientific records teased out evidence suggesting beavers were here. Sea otters nearly disappeared from the entire West Coast because of the fur trade. They remain endangered to this day, and none live in San Francisco Bay now. The disdain and the hunting and trapping were just the beginning of how European settlement would transform the landscape and its wildlife. On that same 1823 journey, Altamira writes about two lakes, including one that was right here where Peter and I are standing. We found the large lake of Tole, so-called after the chief of the Indians, who in former times settled in that vicinity. The water in both lakes is fresh, which circumstance, as the aforesaid hills are sufficiently covered with grass, makes it convenient for the raising of a large number of cattle at this locality. But within 50 years, Tole Lake was all but gone. Peter says an early settler drained it to farm the land, further degrading the habitat for big animals. 
When farmers fence in their crops and cordon off pastures for their livestock, they force wildlife to forge new pathways. Large animals, wolves, bears, those jaguars, would have struggled as their hunting grounds shrank. And then, of course, farmers shot them if they came too close. Eventually, to survive, animals left for safer, easier places to live. Peter says now there is increasing recognition that the indigenous people were responsible stewards of this land, for themselves and for animals. Their knowledge and approaches are starting to be folded into modern planning and management decisions. And guess what? Tule elk, condors, and golden eagles are coming back. Laura Cunningham spent a couple of decades creating paintings that show, as best she can conjure, what this place looked like centuries ago. She says it can be hard for residents of this sprawling metropolitan area to fathom why someone would try to depict an almost obliterated landscape. I was at an art show 10 years ago in San Francisco and showing these paintings of San Francisco and salmon and elk and grizzlies. And a fellow, a man came up to me and he was very bothered by this. And he said, what, you want to destroy our cities and civilization and go back to this? No, of course she doesn't. But she wants others to know this aspect of our region's history. She says maybe then they'll appreciate or even support efforts to protect what remains and preserve it for the future. That was reporter Amy Mayer. Thanks to Isabel Guajardo for sending in that question. And hey, you all actually selected it in a Bay Curious voting round. If you've never voted in one of our voting rounds before, what are you waiting for? It takes literally 10 seconds. Go to baycurious.org. It's like one scroll down from the top, and it helps us to know what you want us to report on. While you're there, you can also sign up for the monthly Bay Curious newsletter, which is always full of fun stuff. You can ask us a question or, you know, you could just go really deep in the Bay Curious archive. Bay Curious is produced by Katrina Schwartz, Brendan Willard, Amanda Font and me, Olivia Allen Price. Darren, too, is our social video intern. Our show is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thanks.